Amen. Thank you, Brogan. Very well read. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Good. And good afternoon, those who are watching online as well. It's so good to be with you again. My name is James. If we've not met, my wife and I, we've got two children as well. Lucy's my wife. We've got two children, Joshua, who's three, Flory, who's one. We moved to Newcastle in December to come work with the university students here in Newcastle. And it's been so much fun getting to know the church family. Um, so a big hello from us. It's great to see you in church again today. We're spending this kind of first half of the year preaching through our vision as a church. As it was shared at the start, we're in a sermon series called Building Community, looking at the book of 1 John. But we've also looked at what it means to follow Jesus, as we looked at the Spiritual Discipline series. And we also looked at um, Loving Newcastle as we studied the book of Jonah together. And so we're in this Building Community series in 1 John. And the tagline for the series is, in Christ, we're not only taken from death to life, but life in community. And Brogan last week shared about forgiven community. And um, in, in other words, Ben shared a little bit of that. We, we get things wrong from time to time. We annoy each other. or We offend God with our actions, with what we say, think, and believe. And so sometimes we have to ask for forgiveness. And Brogan shared a brilliant uh, line last week. I'm actually going to use it maybe two or three times this morning because it was so good. It, it went like this. Um, the cross is the only way into Christian community and church. The good news is it is the only requirement. And that kind of, I thought that beautifully summarized something of his talk last week. Today, we're looking at anointed community. What does it mean to be shaped by the word of God and the spirit into the community we so long for. So if last week, what we're saved from, this week, what we're saved into. And we've been starting all of the time when we gather together, midweek in our small groups and on Sunday with this prayer um, to kind of gather our voices together. So could I, I know you've just sat down and got comfortable. Could I ask you to stand again though? Because we're gonna say these words together, joining in one voice and this sort of encapsulates our hope for this sermon series. So let's say this prayer together now. Almighty God, we thank you that in Christ we have been brought from death to life and that this life is in community with one another. As in your Son we are forgiven and anointed, so through your Spirit may we become loving and faithful. Heavenly Father, may it please you to accomplish this in our lives. Amen. Feel free to take a seat, get comfortable. Um, we're going to look at this Bible passage together now. It is a hundred seconds to midnight. That is according to the doomsday clock. That is a group of scientists at the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. They meet each year to discuss how close the world is to annihilation. When it was first launched in 1947, we were approximately seven minutes to midnight. That is approaching zero. The first year of my life when I was born, it was 17 minutes to midnight. That's the early 90s. It captured something of the optimism and the good vibes of the early 90s. Last year and this year, the status remains the closest it has ever been to midnight. Here is how the statement began. 
to the leaders and citizens of the free world. This is your COVID wake-up call. It's 100 seconds to midnight. The pandemic revealed just how unprepared and unwilling countries and the international system are, are ready to handle global emergencies properly. So the pandemic serves as a historic wake-up call. Still, humanity faces two simultaneous existential dangers, nuclear war and climate change, that are compounded by a threat multiplier, cyber-enabled warfare that undercuts society's ability to respond. This could threaten civilization in the near future. In summary, humanity must respond to the most dangerous international security situation that it has ever faced. Opening question, should we be worried? Because you'll have not come here today to have your fears increased by a threat multiplier, did you? The doomsday clock is designed to communicate two things. Firstly, the importance of the issues that it addresses. Secondly, the urgency with which the world ought to respond to these issues. It's 100 seconds till midnight. We can hold our breath for that long. We are but a breath away from the end of the world. It is that important. It is that urgent. And John opens up this section of the Bible that we've got with us today in verse 18 with these words, dear children, this is the last hour. Raising the stakes from other New Testament writers who talk about the last days, which is a picture in the Bible. In Bible language, the last days means um, we're in this time between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, where he will come again to rule and to reign and bring about a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. We are in this period of time between the first coming and the second coming, the last days, but John raises the stakes. Dear children, this is the last hour. And with that, the Apostle John has some important and urgent things to discuss with the believers in this letter. Two things. Firstly, the people are leaving. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So these people are leaving, and it's not just that they're going to the badminton club down the road or having a lazy Sunday. They are leaving, and they're causing a bit of a ruckus on the way out. And then number two, I've never used the word ruckus before, and now that's on YouTube, so there you go, my boy done good. Okay, second point, what is the other problem? People are denying that Jesus is the Christ, verse 22. By that, I mean that he is the anointed one. We'll come back to that word later on in this talk. People are leaving and people are denying that Jesus is the Christ. People are turning off to follow the winds of popular teaching. And so John is writing this letter to strengthen those who are in Christ and remind them that you are not alone. Question, have we ever felt like that? Alone. Or, well, because I know I've been talking to some of the students since I've arrived here. Many of you have come to a big city like Newcastle and even to this church and maybe you've never been around people your age or stage when it comes to things about faith before. 
Some people have maybe been the only youth in their church. Have you ever felt alone in your faith asking, is it really true what I believe when so many other people believe something different? Or the second danger, the winds of popular teaching. Have we ever been tempted to follow the status quo and go with the latest ideas? Because it can be difficult sometimes to hold to the truth about Jesus especially when those around us would try to lead us astray, opposing Christ and his way. Some of you I know, as I've been getting to know the church family, work in environments where you feel conflicted about how my faith works out in practice in this context, feeling a pull in different directions. So what do these verses have to say today to help us? Not just us, but us as a community together going to look at verses 22 to 25 now and ask three questions as we go through the verses. Who are these people that are breaking away? What is their lie and why does it matter? Question one, who are these rebels, the breakaway faction? Well, they were once friends, we read in verse 19, that they once were part of the church, but now they're trying to go in a new direction with a new truth. They are friends within the church family, people who were known to the church community that are going in a new direction, but they never really belong to the church. That is to say, they never really belong to Christian community as we heard it defined last week by Brogan. Here's that quote again. The only way into Christian community is the cross. And church, the good news is, it is the only requirement. They had never really considered the cross. They had never really looked at the work of Jesus on the cross. And subsequently, in his resurrection, they had never been forgiven for their sins and received the gift of eternal life. Received forgiveness. They went out from us, verse 19, but they did not really belong to us. The group isn't really named in these verses, but I've been doing some digging. I've been reading some big books, trying to understand what might be going on in this story. So let me just nerd out a little bit with us this morning. We're not totally told who these people are when this letter was written, but very early Christian writers held that the Apostle John was living in Ephesus. That's modern-day Turkey. And as he's writing, he probably had a local audience in mind, but a regional audience context. So we've, I was reading John Stott's commentary on this, and he put it down that maybe this renegade, this breakaway group was probably the Gnostics. So what is a Gnostic, and what is their lie? Well, Gnosticism, in broad terms, was this melting pot of ideas. They pulled from Judaism and Christianity and paganism, and they really focused on Western intellectualism and Eastern mysticism, bringing together this melting pot of a new religion, a new way, and they talked about a new anointing. John Stott, in his commentary on 1 John, had it down as containing two main principles. That is, they believed in the impurity of matter and the supremacy of knowledge. In other words, the physical world is bad. Our bodies are bad. And we escape it, we escape our body and this world by gnosis, Gnosticism. That means knowledge, special knowledge. And they were immediately at loggerheads with the Christian religion because it is essentially a material religion. We believe, we assert that the Son of God clothed himself with a body. We call it the incarnation, that God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. 
and we believe that he was bodily raised from the dead, as we talked about at Easter only a few weeks ago. And that the Christian body, our bodies, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit joins us to Christ, but also to one another. I heard Bishop Graham Tomlin talk about this once, and he summarized it like this. He said, to Christians, matter matters. They, those that who were breaking away, believed in salvation through enlightenment. We believe in salvation through the saving grace of God, specifically in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, one of those who defended the faith um, in the second century, put it like this, for the glory of God is a living man and the life of man consists in beholding God. Matter matters. And so we can see here that there are two directions happening within this community. So let's go back to the text. Verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. This breakaway group would have claimed that they knew better than the Apostle John. They had this gnosis, this special knowledge, and a certain elite within that group had this special new anointing that gave them access to eternal life. They did not have the anointing, John says. Jesus has the anointing. Jesus is the Christ. That word Christ means the anointed one. John is saying here that these people are anti-Christ. They are anti-anointing. And I can't go into detail here about end time stuff and anti-Christ stuff. I've got some great stuff. And I know those, those words can be exciting for us because Hollywood has painted this very grand picture of what the anti-Christ might look like for us in the future. The Bible has very little to say about it. We've got these words in 1 John. If you want another part of the Bible to look at is 2 Thessalonians 2. There's some great imagery there about what the Bible says about the Antichrist. But for this morning, I've not got, I was timing myself this morning as I was practicing. I've just not got time to go into that into any more detail today. But do have a look at these things and see what does the Bible say. But when it comes to this anointing, and these people are anti-Christ, they're anti-anointing. We are in Christ. The anointing isn't ours. It's not about our gifting or our potential or our skill. The anointing belongs to Jesus and we are in Jesus. The anointing is his. It's all about him, not about us. So why does this matter? Well, this is important and it is urgent because still today, people try and add to or take away from the Christian message. In other words, they advocate for a Jesus plus, a Jesus and something else, that we need to have Jesus and earn our way into heaven. You need to have Jesus and the right life, Jesus and the right partner, Jesus and the right job. And we add to the saving work of Jesus Christ or the flip side, Jesus light, Jesus and taking away stuff. Agreeing, yes, it's good to believe in God, but you Christians, you get too intense about the person of Jesus. It's too exclusive. Don't all roads lead to God? And so they try and reduce the faith to something that 
isn't the Christian faith anymore? And John's reply is concrete. Resolute, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See here how John is at pains to show the unique relationship between Jesus and the Father. To know the Son is to know the Father. It is the only way we can know the Father. And the opposite is true. Getting wrong who Jesus is means that we are getting wrong who the Father is. Brogan said last week, the only way into Christian community is through the cross. And it is the only requirement this week. The only way to the Father is through the Son revealed by the Holy Spirit. Verse 24 and 25. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. If we lose either one of these truths, that Jesus is the Christ, fully God, fully human, that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was not enough, and that his resurrection was sufficient for our salvation, if we lose either of these truths, we lose the gospel. And with it, we lose Christian hope. So how can we apply this to our community? How does this shape our thinking, our speaking, our living, as we try to live out our faith here in Newcastle? Well, we have been given all that we need to do so. Firstly, we've received the truth handed down to us from those who were eyewitness accounts of the person of Jesus. And secondly, we've received the spirit, the truth. Some people in the early church there had begun to challenge the message about Jesus that John and the other apostles had held to and had passed on. If you remember what we read last week in John 1 verse 1, it said this, that which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. John stresses here that he's seen and he has touched Jesus. He stresses his eyewitness credentials. He reminds his readers that his message about Jesus is what he knew to be true. It's a truth that we've received and we hold in our hands here and now in Newcastle. In this, we're no far removed than John's first readers would have been when they heard this letter read out loud for the first time, the truth about Jesus. And if we're just here today looking into Christian things for the first time and we're not sure where to begin when it comes to faith and God and life, then looking at Jesus as we find him in the Bible is a great starting point. Read about Jesus. See what you make of him. We stand and speak about Jesus. There's been many good books written about him, podcasts that have been produced about him, films about Jesus. Do listen, read, and watch these things, but they're only worth listening to and reading and watching in and so far they keep to the truth about Jesus found in the Bible. It's why here at St. Thomas's we are keen to have the Bible open and read aloud every time we gather. Read it, see for yourself. 
It's one of our main focuses here at the church. Just a few weeks ago when we talked about the following Jesus part of our vision in the Spiritual Discipline series, one of the main focuses was how do we do when it comes to reading the Bible daily? It's why as a church we're committed to preaching all of the Bible. No bits cut out, no bits added, just what we've received, passed on. And if you're looking to get started in Bible reading, I'd love to talk to you, and actually so would Brogan. We've got a great resource here as a church. Brogan wrote something called 14 Days, and we'd love to talk to you to help you get started reading the Bible. We love reading the Bible together here. However you choose to explore the person of Jesus, can I urge you to speak to people, to read things that point us to the Bible and to the person of Jesus as we find him in the pages of Scripture, unchanged, Nothing added, nothing taken away. Resist Jesus plus or Jesus light. Look at the person of Jesus who is the truth because our faith is grounded in truth and this is where we'll find it. Our faith is grounded in truth but it is also from the Holy Spirit. The anointing word that we see a few times in our reading today in verse 20 and verse 27, that word is something that is true about all of us here who believe and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you and you, don't, you do not need anybody to teach you. Students, that's not now permission for you to skip lectures or to stop learning. We do need people to teach us, but we do not need people to teach us a new truth, a new gnosis, a new anointing. Anointing is actually what we've got here. It's a play on word. In the Greek, the word is chrism, and it's connected to the word Christ, the anointed one. The Apostle Paul used these same words when he wrote to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 1, verses 21 and 22, he wrote, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It means we're not alone. God's spirit is in us. We're anointed because we are in Christ, he is the anointed one. And verse 27 onwards in our reading today becomes incredibly reassuring. He's talked about the drama, he's talked about the breakaway, and verse 24 onwards, he's reassuring the Christian believers in John's gospel who who feel maybe a little bit alone in the truth. He's reassuring them, we're saved by Jesus, filled with the same spirit that anointed him, the Christ, that we have a secure claim on eternal life and nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Verse 27, his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. We have been given all that we need to know him, to trust him and to follow him. We've got the word of God which grounds us in the truth. We've been given the spirit of God which makes Christ known to us and it is the spirit of God who keeps us in Christ. There's no secret code, no additional skill, tactic, knowledge. It's not about your potential. There's not some 
expert you need to talk to or secret handshake or certificate you need to receive to unlock more of the truth about Jesus. We have all that we need in the truth that's been passed down to us from the generations who saw Jesus. And we have all that we need in the spirit who reveals all truth to us. It's knowing Jesus in his word, empowered by his Holy Spirit that counts. David Watson wrote a book called I Believe in the Church. And he had this brilliant quote when it came to how we as a community are formed together into people who believe in word and spirit. He said, all word and no spirit, we dry up. All spirit and no word, we blow up. Both word and spirit, we grow up. We have been given everything that we need. And when we're defined by the word of God and filled by the spirit of God, we are shaped into the kind of community we long for. The kind of community that can overcome the temptations of the world or the temptations of popular teaching or the easiest route. Spoiler alert in 1 John 4 verse 4, it says the believers, they overcame those who were their sort of adversaries, their breakaway people. They overcame it. And we can become the community that we long for and defined by the world, word and filled by the spirit, dependent on grace, dependent on Jesus Christ, resisting Jesus plus. It's not about our works or our performance. We can live life to the full and not settling for a Jesus light version of the Christian faith where we reduce this walk with him to what is the easiest way forward. And we can be a hope-filled community connected to God by his spirit and by his spirit connected to one another. I'm gonna end here. I'm gonna invite Will up because I thought an appropriate way for us to end our time together this morning, and we'll do the same this afternoon, is by hearing the truth about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of which we've been thinking about this morning. We're going to sing the creed together. Will's done and Mim have done an amazing job of setting these words to music. This is our faith that we've received It's what Christians have been saying over the centuries. This is our faith passed down to us just as it was. Nothing added, nothing taken away. And it would be good to remind ourselves of some of these central foundations of the Christian faith as we end our time together this morning. Will, over to you.